John chapter 4, love. Well, there's a lot of people that love to talk about love. Uh, it's a great, easy subject, one would think, to talk about. Uh, we had a chance last week to try to share with you a little bit about what 1 John 4 is about in regards to uh, God's love. You know, it's pretty simple uh, when, when you think of it, looking at this text, that all love is generated by our God because he is love himself. He doesn't contain love, he is love. Any love that would come then to this earth is based on the very character of who God is. And because of that coming to this earth through the word of God, we understand it because of that love that God had for us that is this unconditional agape love. It's, it's demonstrated through Jesus Christ who is uh, the propitiation, the atonement, that's what the thought is, at one with God, because he is the one who has created a unity between ourselves and himself uh, through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the demonstration of love. And because we see that kind of love, we're actually able to put up with each other. We actually love each other. Don't we? I can just, can't you just feel the love? It's just all over the place. And that's, you know, we, we can love that which seemingly in the world's sight is unlovely. We can put people together that are absolute opposites, and they can actually love each other. And it's really a neat thing to witness. And, and as I observe and I watch you and to see who's, who's going to Perkins or who's going to Cracker Barrel or wherever together, you know, and you're actually uh, mingling and, and, and talking. And it's really neat to, to see that. And that, that love is demonstrated because he, he tells us in his text, listen, if we can't love man, Christian, the brotherhood, who we can see, how in the world could we ever say that we love God who we have not yet physically seen? And so this love demonstrates this love. And those who are listening to it on CD, that made no sense. Our love for each other, man to man, uh, is showing that we have a true love for God. And that's how we show and prove our love for God is by loving one another. And if a man says, I love God, you know, and then he hates his brother, uh, he's deceiving himself. He's, he's really a liar. As a matter of fact, in chapter 3, he talks about how Cain killed his brother as an example of what hatred can do. It can actually murder. In, a, in God's sight, uh, if we hate a brother, we're actually a murderer in our heart. And so how can a man say, I have love of God, if I hate my brother? It just doesn't go hand in hand. And so this is the love that we talked about, the demonstration of God's love and how it's generated and proves itself. And this is a maturing love. Um, it's, it's a love that's on purpose. We choose to love. We don't love because you did something for me. And I love you because you did something for me. Um, this is that kind of love that we have for each other, that God had for us. He loved us unconditionally. It wasn't because we were beautiful, could do something for him. He chose to love us. And that love is of God. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, I took the whole week, uh, last week, to talk about it because today's the message I wanted to preach, uh, basically. But I couldn't preach this one without showing and proving you within the text what these two verses mean. And they are verses 17 and 18. I'd like to read them again with you so that you can wrap your brain about what we're going to talk about today. Herein is our love made perfect, brought to a full maturity, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Second point, understanding this thing about the love of God, 
because as he is, and that he is talking about Christ, is, so are we, thought is this present tense, we all are already like Christ, whereat while we're here in this world. So he's not talking about when we get to heaven, we're finally like him. We're actually like him right now, and we'll explain that. And then the third point is that there is no fear in love, because this kind of love that we're talking about, and I'll show you that in a moment, um, in verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect or that kind of mature love casts out fear. Why? Because fear has torment. He that feareth isn't made perfect in this kind of love. Say, so what kind of love is this? What love? Well, we talked about it last week. Would you agree with this statement that God dealt more in this whole text about God's love for man than man's love for God? Now think about it. A lot more talking about God's love for man. Now, we do love him because he, God, first loved us. So once we understand what God has done for us in his love through the grace, the, the mercy, all these things that are, are augmented into what God has done to plan out the uh, whole salvation thing for you and I. So what we understand is, wow, I can't believe did this, God did this for me, the demonstration of his love. And now that love is reciprocated back to him because of his first loving you and I. Because bottom line is we just can't get over it. I can't get over why God would love me. I am not lovely. I'm a sinner. And, you know, we, we talk about, talked about that last week. It's like, how can God love sinners? And I'm talking about it. it listen, we sin, do outward wrong things because we have a nature, a sinful nature inside of us. Yes, God died for those outward sins, but he primarily died for the condition that we are in, the sinful nature that we have. So whether you robbed or you never robbed, whether you have done this sin or that sin, and, or whether you have or not, doesn't, doesn't matter. We are all sinners by nature. That's why we do wrong things. Christ died for all in all, everything is taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, through the powerful resurrection. The plan of salvation is there, and that's God's demonstration, proof to you and I that He loves you and I, and He wants you. If you're not in the family yet, get in the family. Why are you waiting? So, that's His love. Now, verse 17, herein is our love made perfect, brought to that maturity. Now, even though he deals with this is the our love, I think you can you can see that it is the understanding in this whole thing of God's love for me, my love for God, more about God's love for me is finally brought to a maturity. And in other words, as you're looking at this text, please have in your mind not you demonstrating your love for God, but understanding you love God because He first loved you. He started the whole thing. So it is our love, but it's ultimately about His love in 1 John chapter 4. So this whole maturity of my love for God because of His powerful love for me is finally brought to a maturity. Now that maturity doesn't happen overnight. Now I'm going to pick on you just a little bit. 
When I got saved, once in a while we get into Sunday morning service, you know, once in a while special things, we go in an evening service or, or whatever. But through the process of time, you know, you know when I really started to grow in my faith and my love for God and understanding who God was and the Word of God, and I didn't get it on a Sunday morning. We got into Sunday school, we got into Sunday night, we got into Wednesday night, we started having friends in, we started asking questions, and we started to grow. And if you're here just starting out with this whole thing of Christianity, maybe even in the last year or so you have, have been saved, it's time for you to say, it's time for me to understand more about this, the love of God, so that I can mature in it and, and grow in it because we need it. You say, why do we need it? Be now follow me. If you do not understand the love that God has for you in its fullest, you will have fears. You will not have boldness. There will be confusion in your life if you are trying to make God fit into your little square and He doesn't fit in. It's going to be confusing for you. We must accept and understand, even submit ourselves to what God says of Himself for us, not what we've always been told. I have one lady said, I never believed that because my mama told me different. Okay? I love your mama. But if your mama told you something that doesn't line up with the word, mama's wrong. It doesn't matter because God's right, man isn't. Okay. Got to keep moving. So, verse 17. The, in this whole thing, the love of God is made perfected or perfect. Now notice this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. In the text, I think you would agree that, that God's talking to his kids, trying to help them to realize what's going on in their relationship with God. This is not the judgment that Revelation 21 talks about when it, and when it, excuse me, chapter 20 deals with when it deals with what is called the great white throne judgment. That great white throne judgment is the judgment for lost people. All from day one through to that time period, which would be also part of the tribulation, it will be part of the millennial reign, all of those things are finally completed, and then comes that judgment of all the lost, will be resurrected, brought out of hell, brought out of wherever they are at, uh, if they just died, whatever the case is, all lost will be standing before him, and they are going to be judged out of the books they are going to be seen if they are written in the Lamb's book of life. They're not there. They're not going to heaven. And that's the judgment where the lake of fire comes in. And that's a sad judgment. We don't like to talk about it. It's a, it's a, it's a, a scary thing to think of, of friends, relatives, whatever, that will be standing at that particular judgment and uh, there's no escape. Great and small, rich and poor, kings, Priests, religious lost, it doesn't matter what the case, if they do not have the righteousness of Christ on their life, if they are not, their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they will be at that judgment and there is no escape. You say, I've got a lot of money, you can't pay God off. There's nothing you can do to get out of it. And God is not a respecter 
of persons. And so that's a judgment that is in the future. This particular judgment is what we call uh, the judgment seat of Christ. This is not for the lost. This is for, if you will, the church age. Uh, some have said First John isn't for this day and age. I totally disagree with that. Or else he could not have talked about the rapture as he does in this text. He couldn't talk about so many things that are there. They believe that only the Pauline epistles are for this day and age. I totally disagree because of what we're learning even this day, that there is a judgment seat for you and I, the believer. You say, when does it come? Right after the snatching away of his bride, right after what we call rapture or the resurrection of the church. The dead in Christ, rising first, we which are alive and remain caught up together in a cloud, will be forever with the Lord. Then comes the judgment. Look, look with me briefly to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. We're going to see this. And you say, I've never heard about these things before. Well, now you get to. Because I was excited when I learned about these things. We as the church, but also individually, have the awesome responsibility to give an account for our lives to Jesus Christ. And as you're going to see in this text, when we stand before Christ in 1 Corinthians 3, when we stand before Christ, we are going to be standing before Him as believers to be judged for our works. That's the key. Okay, let's start digging in just a little bit. Um, boy, there's so many good places. But verse 11 will pick up. Other foundation can no man lay with that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's, now notice this, work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, that's the work, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort or what type kind it was. Referring back to the gold, silver, precious stone, you put, you put the fire to the gold and the silver, it purifies it. Many of you know that wonderful illustration, and, and, and I believe that's absolutely true. If you put, put uh, fire to wood, hay, and stubble, that's the stuff you start a fire with, it's going to burn right up. And God's saying is, if what you did on this earth for Him you did it for you, you get your, your reward already. But if what you have done was for Christ, and that is the precious stone, the, the beautiful gold, etc., God says you will then be rewarded for the work that you have done here on this earth. And that work is based on what God has equipped or gifted you to do as a Christian while you're here. Remember, we don't get to choose what, what gift we have been given. Ours is to work it out, to, to do that gift. And that's why I need to pastor because I believe that's what God has asked me to do. And as you, whether you teach, music, whatever, do it to the very honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, if a man's work abide which he hath builded thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Why do you say why do we know that? Because if our, our our works are not what saves us, faith saves. The works follow the salvation. 
But if a man decides not to serve, not to work, generate for God, he then will suffer. And, and a lot of people say, well, I can handle that. You know, I just won't get anything in heaven. I'll just do whatever I want to do. Miserable life. You don't want to go there. That is no fun at all. Not here or there. Uh, so, trust me, God's going to get glory out of your life. So we might as well just go ahead and yield to him. Say, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to do. That's the easiest way, isn't it? Those who are saying something like back to me right there, you've been there. Because many of us have, have, have play, played the, the, you know, uh, the Jonah. You know, you go the other way. You try to do it your own way and such, and, and, and God finds you because you can't, like, hide from him. And he'll find you wherever you're sleeping, wherever you're living. And he'll say, get back to where you're supposed to be. And then you're happy. You know, just life's good. So let's serve him, huh? Provoking one another to love and good works. That's what we're doing here this morning. Urging you to do something for God. You know why? Because we got to stand before him someday for it. And you say, I'm, I will be scared to death to stand before Jesus Christ. Why? I wanna, I'm going to ask that question again. You might be thinking, I am afraid of standing before Jesus Christ to give an account for my life here on this earth. Why? Why would you be afraid? Are we supposed to be afraid? Herein is the love of God perfected. Because guess what? We're going to stand before him someday. Now, let me go back to 1 John. We're, we're showing you the, the point. Verse 17, here is love God made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Isn't that neat? So God's saying to you and I as Christians, we're actually to be there, not in self-confidence, but a boldness because I understand already the love of God and what His judgment is for me. There's nothing unturned. There's nothing uh, that is not revealed. All has been disclosed. So when we stand before the Lord, we as Christians, you may be learning it today, you're going to stand before Him for what you've done. Doesn't that give you boldness? We stand before Him because of the propitiation for our sin. As Christians, the love of God is manifest. So I know that as I stand before God, I can stand with confidence not because of me, but because of Him and what He has done for me. And if we're afraid, it's because we don't understand the love of God. We understand the love of God, we can come with boldness, even to the very, maybe the scariest time of our lives, one would think, is standing before Jesus, and God says, I don't want you afraid. Come. He already knows you. There's like nothing hidden from him. Is there going to be something that, you know, oh, I didn't know you did that, Carl. <laughs> you caught me by surprise. It's not going to happen. It's all there and open. And so we come before our God knowing even what we are going to be judged for. It's not the sin has been taken care of at the cross. Praise the Lord for that. Now, you say, well, what happens if a Christian sins? Is he going to get away with it, folks? Thank you. Man, we get whooped down here on this earth. 
That's why the sin, now it could be that our works were, were proud and things like that. It was is sinful. Well, we're going to suffer for that. But we're standing before him for hopefully what God is looking for is something that he can actually reward you for there. And so we can actually come before him in the very present. Now look back with me to one chapter back, to, uh, I'm sorry, two chapters back, chapter number two. You mind digging in the Word today? we got lots of verses. We, I want to show you the concepts, okay? So 1 John chapter 2, and uh, let's look at verse number 28. And now little children abide in Him, and I thought is walk with Him. Don't get ahead of Him, don't get behind Him. Walk right with God, walk in the Spirit. That when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So now the thought is, while we're here, we can actually have a confidence not worrying about if the Lord were to come right now, this very moment, and there is nothing you can change. There's no one you can talk to and say, I'm so sorry, before we get snatched away. Or there's nothing you can go and change at home. Nothing you can change at work. You're taken the way you are right now. You realize you can have an absolute confidence and not be ashamed at His coming. Confidence. This book is about assurances. If we're abiding with Him. Now, if we're in a bunch of garbage and not living for the Lord, is it possible at His coming that we realize we're going to be ashamed and we know we're going to suffer loss before Him at the judgment seat of Christ? Is that possible? Absolutely. So let's not do that. Isn't life really easy? This is really not that hard. Does anybody here not know what we're supposed to be as Christians? Now think about this. Y'all been, some of you have been, been saved longer than I've been alive. Seriously. And it, it's not brand new. We understand what does it mean to honor the Lord in our lives and to serve Him. How we're to interact with each other. We're not to be selfish, driven by pride. We're supposed to be good witnesses, fulfilling the Great Commission. You know, go through the Ephesians 4 and, and have that unity of the faith and all of those wonderful things that we've taught on here. If we do it, we can say, even so, Lord Jesus, come right now. I'm ready. Shouldn't we be looking forward to that day? Okay. And some are like, man, I'm going home and I'm cleaning house. I'm going to get things ready because he could come today. You're absolutely right. And when he comes, we will stand before him. Okay. Let's back to chapter 4. The latter part of verse 17 is really neat. It says, uh, having the boldness, boldness in the day of judgment, and next is because as he is, notice the tense of that, so are we in this world. Now, the latter part, in this world. Here we are. We're in this world. Um, you know, First John talks about if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay? So we're realizing we're here in this world, but we're not of the world. We don't have the philosophy of the world. We have the, the philosophy of the Word of God. We have it as our guide uh, for us. And uh, sadly, in many churches this day and age, that's going out the window. And uh, you pray that your preachers stay true to the word and believe what it says. And so right now, as we are in this world, though, as believers, we are the exact same as he is right now in heaven. 
And you say, this is really confusing. I don't understand this. Let, let me explain it. Um, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, something miraculously happened to you, and you didn't even know what was happening to you. Because when I got saved, I didn't know the Bible. I knew very, very little about Christianity, period. The only thing I knew, Jesus died for my sin. He rose again. I believed it to save me. And that's, I couldn't do it myself. And so he's, he, he's the one that needed to save me. But, but at that very moment, on a porch swing, at, at that time, my future mother-in-law's house, things happened to me that I didn't even know, nor did I understand. At that moment, when I said, Jesus, come into my heart, God at that very moment made me a son of God. Didn't even know the term. Didn't even understand the term. But literally, I was born again. A spiritual birth took place at that moment on that porch swing. I was justified in God's sight. I didn't even understand the word. And yet, I learn now in the scriptures that he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So I am declared righteous in God's sight that moment. Look with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Keep your toe there. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 6. Oh, we could develop the whole text, but we don't have time. In Christ, he's talking about the grace of Christ. This is that, that text, for by grace are you saved through faith, and such in verse 8 and 9. But look at verse 6. What he has done for us and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You say, I'm not there yet. That's the point. I'm not in heaven yet. I'm not there with him. And yet positionally, God has declared and made you and I to sit together in heavenly places. You say, well, that's where there's no sin. It's perfect. And that's where God lives and such. That's the point already that has been done for you and I positionally. The last couple of words in Christ Jesus, that is my righteousness. So as he is in heaven, the holy one, the righteous one, the pure one, even you and I here on this earth in the sight of God are the same as Jesus. So we can look at each other and say, we're little Jesus. It's really the thought. As he is, Jesus Christ, and we look at his perfection, we are it. So you can look at each other. You're perfect. You are absolutely perfect. You are so pure and so righteous. And you're thinking, no, I'm not. We're not talking about your actions, your state. We're talking about your stand in Christ, positionally. You say, that doesn't seem fair. Now you're getting the love of God now. This isn't based on who you think you are or what you think you have done for God. This is based on what God has done for you in His demonstration to you through His love that generated grace, mercy, forgiveness, justification, righteousness, 
Name it. We could go on and on. Look back with me now. 1 John 4. Now we got that verse done. Look at, look at this one. Now he says, based on all this, I can stand boldly at the throne of grace. You know, uh, 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 the judgment seat of Christ, excuse me. And I know my position in Jesus Christ. I am as Christ is in God's sight. The blood of Jesus Christ has made me clean. And so now I can say, there is no fear in love. What, what love is that? My love? Mm -mm. When you understand the love of God, it takes away the phobias and the fears that could be inside of your heart. But if your understanding of the love of God is based on your conditions, you will not know. You will go through life in fear. I was told by multiple people to go to multiple different churches, many denominations, ask them this question. I have done this over and over again. Do you know if you were to die today, if you were to go to heaven or not? The answer was no. I can't know until I die. So what they're telling me is they go to church, they sing the hymns, they read their Bible, and they're praying, and they're scared to death whether they're going to be good enough to make it in or not. That's called fear. I will be Scared to death if I'm thinking in my mind, I could have a heart attack today and I don't know if I'm going to get in or not. Oh, no, that's fear. But when we understand the love of God and what he has done for us, I am not afraid of dying and going to hell. I won't smell it. I won't see it. I won't hear it. Because that's not what God has, has given me now since I've trusted Christ as Savior. Fears are an amazing thing, aren't they? I got on this website about fears, all the phobias. And that's, by the way, the, the, the Greek word there for fear is where we get our word phobias. Okay? So you realize there are phobias of the color purple? And you say, are, I can't even pronounce these words. Uh, porphyrophobia is a fear of the color purple. Uh, if I say it improperly, I apologize because I have the fear of saying words wrong. There's probably a Greek word for that too. Catophobia is the fear of hairy people. Levophobia is the fear of objects on the left side of the body. Dextrophobia is fears of objects on the right side of the body. Figure that one out before you leave. Aurorophobia is the fear of the northern lights. Blimphobia is one my wife has. She's scared to death of blimps. She really is. She sees those. She goes, don't let me look at them. That's not in here. But here's the one I like. Pelodophobia. You ready for this one? It's the fear of baldness and bald people. <laughs> You don't have that one. You're here. <laughs> then there's the phobophobia, which is just afraid of being afraid. Uh, it is hilarious. <clears throat> I like the couple of them. There's more. If you want this, let me know. You can. It, it's 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 
hilarious. But we've we've seen people that go through life full of fear. I have one Christian guy. He spent thousands and thousands of dollars that he really didn't have on going to shrinks to try to get over this fear of death. Actually, I'm sorry, I had two of them. This was at my first church, two of them. Scared to death. One had a, had a brother uh, die prematurely. So he was thinking in his life, I'm afraid to die prematurely. I don't know how I'm going to die. And another one, uh, incredible uh, hunter, uh, went with him several times. And, you know, he's one of those guys that just could hunt everything. And the um, one day he came in, he's, he was the one, he says, I have spent thousands of dollars. He goes, I am now paralyzed in life. He goes, I'm afraid if I go up in the tree stand, I'm going to fall and die or break my neck. He goes, literally, I went from being totally active. And by the way, this guy was probably late 20s and scared to death of everything. He'd get in a car. He was afraid to get in a wreck. His kids were in there. You know, this, the list goes on. And he says, I am paralyzed and they can't get, get, get me through this fear. And I said, well, let's look at the Bible for a little while. And, and that's what we did. We read verses for about a half hour and we made explanation. And it was not about how to get over fears. It was finding out how to know God. And once he had a grasp on who God is and the character of God and the things that he was fearing, that God was going to take care of them, in a half an hour, he said, boy, I wish I would have come here first. It would have saved me thousands of dollars in a half hour just reading the word and getting an understanding of who God is takes away fears. Let me explain this a little deeper. There is no fear. God doesn't just throw words in there to fill the page. This means that we as Christians should have absolutely zero fears in our lives. Why? Because if I understand the love of God, I know God is on my side. And it should eliminate of what I am fearing. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But perfect or that love that is matured casts out fear. He's not saying that we cannot have fear. We most certainly can but when I come to a maturity of understanding the love of God, it literally casts or throws out those phobias that I have in my life because the love of God, as he says, is in me. It is shed abroad in my heart and so many other verses and concepts I could give you because fear, he says, hath torment. This is critical because I will guarantee you many in this room are tormented over fears that you have in your life. It could be the fear of death. It could be many other things. I'll talk about that in a moment. And as you're going through those type of fears, it becomes a torment to you. And just like that young man that I counseled, you begin to freeze in your life. You are not mobile. You're not doing. You're not serving. Instead, you are going backwards because of these fears, and you are tormented through the night, through the day, because of what you are going through in your mind. But if we have an understanding of the love of God, that is cast out, and you are now freed instead of being tormented. The last part of verse 18, He that feareth 
is not made perfect in love. In other words, you've not come to the place of understanding to a fullest the love of God that he has for you. Now, <clears throat> there are things that I have counseled and talked to many people about when it comes to fears. And we're not talking, folks, here in this text of what we talked about several months ago, and that was the subject of worry. To me, I can distinguish what I worry about versus what I am afraid. Fear has a torment inside of the mind that takes over and locks us down, and we can't even function properly because we're afraid. I remember... Uh, uh, Steve, when he was a little guy, we were up at Camp of the Woods first time, and he was just a little guy. He's probably maybe 11 years old, 12, I don't even know. And some of you that were there, they had that big, big uh, uh, thing that the kids could jump off of into the lake. And me, I was like, come on, Steve, let's go do this. He goes, mm mm, -mm. Uh -uh. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I said, come on, be a man, you know, get up there. He's up there. It was 20 minutes until... I really think I made him jump. I was such a meanie. I was so mean to do to him. He never did forgive me about that one. He keeps bringing it up, you know. And the kid was afraid. He didn't know what was going to happen, how deep the water was. Is it going to hurt when I hit that water? All these fears. Now he does it now for, you know, no problem. But, but at that time, it was locking him. He, he just couldn't take that plunge, if you will. Uh, we've all been there of fear. My fear when I was a little kid. I was afraid of the dark. I was a baby, so the baby had to go to bed first. Okay? Which is like 6.30. <laughs> I'm not kidding you either. And my brother, big brother, he got to stay up till 7. That half hour of going up those steps, which I still remember well, and it was old hardwood floors. Screech, screech, screech. You can hear everything. And we're in an old farmhouse, no insulation, and no heat upstairs, and it was cold. And you're going up, and you're looking. You can't even turn the light on in the bedroom. You're afraid that, that the booger man's going to come out and get you, you know? <sighs> so I would literally be up there walking back and forth because I was afraid to turn the light on and to jump into bed. And I was, I was scared to the point of tears as a little kid. You didn't know your preacher, preacher was such a sissy, did you? There was, there was this one little boy. He, mom was coming in to tuck him in. And he says, Mom, I'm scared. Can't you stay in here with me? She goes, No, honey. I need to go in the bedroom with Daddy. I need to be there. And the little boy said, He's a big sissy too, isn't he? <laughs> we got fears. And boy, they're real. But if my dad would have walked up those steps with me and would have been there turning that light on and taking me in and saying everything is okay and tucking me in, I would have had no fear. The presence of the Father is with us. You are not on your own. He loves you. He will never leave you. He will not forsake you. Allow those fears to go because of his presence, because of his love. We fear for our children, don't we? 
We always fear that something could happen to them. Do you realize how much Jesus loves them? Do you think our God would allow something that is not in his divine plan? And we're going to talk about that a little bit next week. So he's in control. They're his first before they're yours. Fears. We fear the future. While you're looking. You okay? You have a couple minutes yet? I need this. Maybe it's just for me. Look at Matthew 6 with me. Oh, you turn there. People I hear a lot, and, and I do this on purpose. I watch like uh, uh, the Bloomberg stations, you know, and I sit and listen to the people doing the Wall Street and trying to predict the future. And basically they say, oh, we have no idea what's going to happen the next, you know, next week, let alone tomorrow. We don't know what the future is. Gold is going this way and, you know, the euros this way. And, and you know, you look at all these the, the currencies and, and what's up and what's down. And everybody's afraid of what my future 401k is going to be. And we're all worried about things. And Jesus knew that. Okay? He knew that. So here's what he told you and I in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. You can read the whole chapter. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? We're always worried about that. What shall we drink? Oh, no. Wherewithal shall we be clothed? How am I going to keep warm? After all these things, guess who seeks after them? You and I, the Gentiles. That's you and I. We're always worried about things. So for your heavenly father knoweth, that you have need of all of these things. We're not catching him by surprise. Here's what God says. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things or and all these things shall be added unto you. The latter part of verse 33. Verse 34. Another key. Take no thought for when? Tomorrow. Okay. So we're here today and we're afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow and we haven't even gotten through today yet. So we're all afraid of the future. He says, listen, tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient or isn't it enough under the day is the evils thereof. I got enough going on today to worry about, to get through. Why should I be locking myself down Scared to death about the future. Can't God take care of that? Are you worrying about retirement? I don't plan on it. I just want to work. I don't want to retire. I mean, someday they might. I was talking to the college career class. I said, you know, there will probably be a day when, when Nathan or somebody's going to walk up and say, now listen, Carl, we need to take the keys from you. Okay, <laughs> no more driving, man. You're going to kill somebody. You're going to kill yourself. It might be me. I'm taking the keys from you because you can't drive anymore. You know, and we don't look forward to that day. Some of you have had to go through that. It's no fun, but they know it. And there may be a day that the deacons come up and say, Carl, you're not doing it too well anymore, brother. <laughs> you're not handling the word very long. Well, and, uh, and, and so it's, it's, time maybe we pass it on to somebody else and uh, that day will come and I know that and you say what are you going to do then serve Jesus you may not have a nice house might be living 
along with somebody else in another house. But won't God take care of those needs that we have? Why do we worry? And why are we locked into fearing all of these things? Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. We have those little kids sing that. And so you better believe it. <laughs> and isn't it not for us? The last thought in 1 John 4, you know these verses. 1 John 4, verse 4. If you don't know, it's there. It's a powerful verse. He just talked about the false teachers and how to, how to be aware of them. But then he looks at us and says this. Listen, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So if I realize that my God is greater than any of the problems that I have, the maturity in the love of God is there, and it casts out the fears that could be there, those fears that we don't know what's going to happen. We don't understand the future. We don't even understand the day. God can take away those fears because he is greater than those problems that we have. What's your problem? And ask yourself a question. Is God greater than that? Is there anything too hard for our God? The answer is no. Now next week we're going to get into that thought, but we do have problems here. We do have trials. We have these tribulations. We have these weird things that happen. So as Romans tells us, don't forget that all things work together. So we got to get into that and understand this whole blend. But folks, God doesn't want you locking up here and walking through life in fear. Understand his love for you. And then that casts out the fear. Follow me. You're walking around in these phobias. You've not come to the place of maturity and the love of God yet. I'm just helping you. So now it's time for you to get back into knowing God more. Understanding his love for you. And then that casts away the fear.